Hey, how are you doing, church? Good to be here this morning with you. Wasn't last week fantastic? Who enjoyed Pastor Bruce? So good to hear the heart of, uh, of a man of God who, who started this movement and, and is still going strong. 70 years old, and he's still flying around the world, pioneering new churches. Just, he's incredibly inspiring and a little bit scary in that way. I'm like, flip, when I'm 70, I want to be just, just you know, slowing down a little. Uh, but he's, he's amazing. Well, we've been, we've been, uh, so we interrupted our series there um, to have Bruce in, but we're, we're in the middle of a series called I'm a Big Kid Now. And if you've been following through with the e-groups, because we're doing this in conjunction with our e-groups, you'll know the ads. Perhaps some of you remember it uh, from the 80s, 90s. Mummy, wow. Yeah, you got it. Uh, and all of those who don't know, just kind of nod and smile. Uh, so we're talking about spiritual adulting. We're talking about growing up, going from infancy to maturity. Because that's what God has for us. You know, it's easier to be a kid. We don't realize it when we're a kid. But, you know, all our, all our meals are provided for us. All our washing is done and put in our drawers. We're chauffeured around everywhere. We don't have to worry about paying any bills or looking after anything, fixing anything. It's just all laid out. Who wants to be a kid? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. If you, you should have gone out those doors this morning if that's you. Because this morning I'm talking to adults. And how do you know that as adults, things change? We have to start to take responsibility. We have to start feeding ourselves, preparing our own meals, doing the, our own washing. Doing, you know, I won't list it all. You know because you're doing it. But the thing, the thing that you don't have as a kid, that you do have as an adult, that is actually kind of cool, is choice. You have choice. You know, as a kid, while everything's laid out for you, you have to eat what's put on the table. You have to go on those family holidays to wherever your mum and dad decide. You have to go to school. You have to do what you're told. You have to... You don't have a lot of choice. As an adult, though, we have choice. We are given choice. And that is awesome. But with that choice comes responsibility. So you can, you can choose what you eat. You can. You can choose where you go. You can choose how you spend your money. You have to earn that money. But you can choose how you spend it. You have freedom. And that is essentially what God has bought for us. When we become Christians, we are, we are bought freedom. We're no longer kids without choice. We're given, because previously we were, we were slaves to sin. We were, we were like children who, who, who were, you know, not that you enslave your kids. Don't get me wrong. But we were slaves to our own self. We were pushed around by our, our wants and our desires, by our lusts of the flesh, by the, the things in us that, that held us back. But when we came into Christ, we found freedom. We have choice. But you still, you, you still have that choice. And, you, and, and you, you're freed from, from the, 
the things that held you back. You're freed from, the, from the, the lies that you believed in the past. You're freed from family issues. You're freed from, from so many things in your life. And yes, in that freedom, there is choice and there is responsibility. And so we've been talking about this, how, how we have authority in our lives. How we have, while we've been given responsibility, we've been given authority over the choices. You are the author of your own destiny. You have those choices. And today I want to I build on this through a, the greatest story of the Old Testament, the overarching, underpinning kind of story of the Old Testament. It's the story of the Israelites, the people of God, and how they came out of slavery in Egypt and into the Promised Land. And the amazing thing about this story is it's actually it's an allegory for us today. I don't know if you realize, but it talks, it's incredible how it talks to, to us because it's actually a picture of, of us as Christians coming out of slavery and coming into freedom. There's so many amazing parallels. Just, just work with me here. The people of Israel. So they'd been in, in Egypt for a long time. Originally, when they came to Egypt, it was good. They came under, Joseph was second in charge to, to Pharaoh, and things were good for them there. They were, they were well looked after. They had good land. But over the, over the years, over the centuries, they, they developed as a people, and, and the people of Egypt got a bit intimidated by them, and they, so they kind of started to oppress them. And eventually, they put them in slavery, and they were completely in slavery. They, they had no choice. And in fact, things just kept getting ramped up. They had to do more work for, for, for the same amount of resources and, and they were just they were they they're really feeling the pinch. Just like us, before we came to know Christ, we were enslaved to sin. We were we were pushed around by our own uh, thoughts and our own um, issues and, and, and we were essentially enslaved. So the people of Israel they cry out. They say, God help us we, in our sin, we cry out. At that point of salvation, we cry out. We say, God, actually, I need your help. I've tried to do it myself. Help. Send me a Savior. And the people of Israel, they get sent. This guy, Moses, he's their Savior. We get sent. Who do we get sent? Jesus. You're seeing the parallels in the story. So, so Moses leads the people of Israel out from out of the land of slavery through multiple miracles. Just go and read Exodus. Does crazy things. Jesus, he comes into our life. He leads us out through miracles. He does amazing things. And he leads us out of slavery. The people of Israel, they come out of slavery. They cross the, uh, the Red Sea, which parts in another miracle, and then they enter into the wilderness. So we come out of slavery. We, we, Jesus parts the Red Sea. He, he, he brings heaven to earth in our lives, and we enter into the wilderness. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it's actually true. If you think about it, and you could argue that, that the full promised land for us as Christians is actually when we die, when we go to be with Jesus. There's a, that you could argue it that way. But actually Jesus says that he's, he, he came to bring us life and life to the full in the here and now. 
And so actually there's a promised land that we need to enter into as well. The trouble is we get stuck in the wilderness. We get stuck because it started so well for the Israelites. It started so well. I've got a great scripture. Exodus 19. God saying this to them through Moses. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's a great promise. And Moses relays this to the people of Israel. And they say that in verse 8, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So it's a good start. They're like, yes, cool. We are the chosen people. You're going to bring us into our promised land. We're going to be your treasured possession. It's a good start, but it's not a great start. Because you see, at this point, they've been walking for three months. Does anybody know how long it should have taken them to come from Egypt into the land of Israel, their promised land? If, if they traveled just, you know, they, they didn't have jets or, or, or cars, but if they traveled as a people walking, it should have taken them about two weeks. Two weeks. So already they've spent three months. By my calculations, that's six times as long as they should have already. And if you know how the story goes, it takes them 40 years. 40 years. That is 1,040 times longer than it should. I calculated that with my calculator last night. It took them way longer, over 1,000 times longer than it should have to get into their promised land. This is sobering stuff. Because if we follow the analogy for us, it's easy to, to look out to other people and go, oh, yeah, they're still dealing with their baggage. They've still got their issues. They're a Christian, but, well, you wouldn't know. Uh, or, you know, there are, there are people we see, we go, they've got issues. The thing is, today I'm here to say that you've got issues. <laughs> what? You didn't know this? I've got issues. There are things that we are still wandering around in. Dealing with the same issue one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years down the track. Because God isn't talking to those other people today. He's talking to you. Because there, there is a promised land. And this whole idea of spiritual maturity, spiritual adulting, is that we, we walk into that. We walk into the, prom, into the promises of God. And I'm not expecting that it'll all just magically fix itself today. But I, I'm believing that, that God in His mercy today is going to touch some things in your life. He's going to put His finger on some things and say, you know what, you're not as mature as you think you are. You actually, you need, some things need to change here. Because we still deal with issues. We still get angry. We still get jealous. We still get bitter. We still lust. We still envy. We're still selfish, just to name a few. Today, I want to I take us on a journey. I want to look at 
some of the things that caused the Israelites to get stuck. Some of the things that caused them to wander around for 40 years. And hopefully we can go, oh, let's not do that. (laughs) Oh, maybe I do that sometimes. Maybe that's holding me back from fully entering in. Is that good? Do you want to hear some of these things? Okay, so here we go. Number one, the first thing, if you want to keep wandering around in the wilderness, is you've got to be impatient. Be impatient. So Moses, he goes up to the top of Mount Sinai to be with God, to get the the, the Ten Commandments. And uh, he gets a whole lot of law. You can go and read it. There's a fair bit. Um, He goes up, and while he's up there, this is what happens in Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Moses leaves. Jesus leaves. And the people get bored. The people get impatient. Impatience and boredom, they're kind of two traits of kids. You know, how many of your kids have gone, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm, you're like, well, you could clean your room. You could tidy those dishes. You could, you know, so many kids, they're like, oh, I'm bored. Or they're impatient. And it starts early. I tell you, I've got a one-year-old, and uh, she sits at the table, and she's eating her food or trying to to eat her food. And she sees what we've got. She's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And it's just a piece of pasta, but she loves that pasta. And ah, uh, and, and, and before long, that ah uh, has turned to a cry and she's, she's in tears because she can't get what she wants. How often are we with God? God, I want this. Ah, uh. <laughs> I haven't got it yet. Ah, ah, ah. And we step our feet and we get upset with God. And a few months go and, and we still haven't got what we want. And so we decide to make it happen ourselves. So you decide to go and date that person that you know you shouldn't. You know you should wait for the right person. But, well, they're not coming, so I'm going to make it happen myself. This, this guy's good enough or this girl. Or we, or we think, man, I really want to get ahead in my, uh, I, want a, I want a bigger house. I want to get that car. I can't quite afford it at the moment. And I know if I ask God, I, he'll probably just say, be patient. But I want it to happen now. So I'm going to get a bigger mortgage than I need to get. Or I'm going to max out that credit card and I'll get, get, get into some trouble there. Or maybe it's a, I don't know, you could apply it to any, any area of your life, really. You think, How can I make this happen myself? Because that's what the Israelites were doing. How can we make this happen ourselves? Moses is gone, and therefore we've got to make it happen. They were impatient. If we want to be stop wandering around in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, we need to learn God's flow. We need to learn to be patient. We need to learn that there's a, there's a period between sowing and reaping. You don't just put something in the ground and it just shoots up and you've got fruit. It takes time. 
We need to embrace that season of waiting. Because what happens is the impatience leads to number two, the worship of false gods. Exodus 32, two to four, reading on. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, you, you could say, oh, well, I don't have any. I don't have a Buddha sitting in my living room. I don't have any idols. I don't have any false gods. But you see, idol worship is simply putting something at the center of our lives that's not God. And if we're honest, we're all guilty of that sometimes. Putting things before God. Oh, I won't spend time with God today because I'm just too busy. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, I've got so many things to do, and God, I've got to spend two hours of prayer every day. <laughs> he, he knew the power of spending time with God. Oh, I can't tithe, I can't give to the church because I don't have enough money. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll never get ahead in your finances until you put God above them, until you put God in charge of them. Oh, I can't get to church because uh, I've got these other things planned and I've got this other stuff happening. You know, whenever we put something ahead of God in our lives, we wander a little bit longer. We wander a little bit longer and we don't enter into the promises that God has for us. The Israelites literally made a golden idol. But, we figuratively make idols in our lives when we put things ahead of God. Getting that first home, getting that bigger car, getting that job, making that decision that, that we, we know that actually God's not asking it of us, but we just, we're making those calls because we're impatient. And we end up going down a wrong track. That's why, that's why fasting is so important. Who's enjoying the fast? Woo! Yeah, there's been a lot of hand, hands, but it's okay. Because fast, fasting is essentially saying, you know, I, even, even the very food that I eat is not my God. Even the very stuff that I need to survive, actually, God, you're above that. It, it, it's because there's a cost to it. I'm missing a lot of things at the moment. But... But I know that in my, in my life, I'm saying, God, you're the one who sustains me. Actually, I'm not just sustained by the food I eat. It's, it's you. It's every word that comes from you that, that sustains me. So, so if you want to stay a spiritual child, if you want to just keep wandering around, then just put other things ahead of God in your life. Whatever it is, because it'll be different for you and for me. And sometimes we just need to stop and think, oh, God, what, what are those things? What am I chasing at the moment that actually, well, I just need to refocus, put God back in, in his rightful place. The third thing, if we're to keep wandering around, is to do what Aaron does here and is to blame others or blame circumstances. Moses comes down the mountain and he's dark. 
Because he sees the Israelites, they're all dancing around this golden statue of a cow. And, and he has his brother Aaron up about it, who was left in charge. And this is what Aaron says. This is great. Exodus 22. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these, these people, these people are to evil. Wow. Let's not take any responsibility here, Aaron, the guy who made the calf. These people, they are so prone to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Like it just happened. It just happened. God, oh, I didn't do it, Moses. It just, poof. So Aaron takes no responsibility whatsoever. He blames others. When God puts his finger on something in your life that needs to change, how often you're like, oh, well, it's because of that. You know, my kids are so ratty at the moment. Or, you know, my boss is so bad. You know, it's I would be a better employee. I would be a better parent. I would do this better. That's not my fault, Aaron. Perhaps you should take some responsibility. Because while those other people might not be doing great, there's only you who can take responsibility for you. It goes right back to the beginning. You look at the Garden of Eden. You know, God comes along and, and he knows they've done, they've done wrong. And he says to Adam, why have you done this? And he's like, oh, it's Eve's fault. And blames her. And then Eve is like, oh, it's the serpent's fault. And we know the joke. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But, uh, but it started right there. Right in the very beginning. Blame someone else, or blame the circumstances. Like Aaron, I just threw the gold into the fire and it just happened. It was the circumstances. No, if you read back earlier, what does he say? It says, he took what a hand and then in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. He did it. He made it. It didn't just throw it in there and it happened. You did that thing, that, that situation in your life which you're struggling with, it didn't just happen. You were part of making it. Take responsibility. It's amazing how the story we tell ourselves can change when we don't want to take responsibility for something. Aaron's story changed. You noticed. Those two accounts changed. In one account, he made it. The other account, it just happened. That's what we do. We shift. And actually, over time, the story we tell ourselves changes. Oh, actually, there are extenu you know, extenuating circumstances that, that, uh, that caused this to happen. It wasn't actually, you know. And we tell ourselves a different story rather than owning it. If you want to get out of the wilderness, you've got to own the issues in your life. You've got to own the things that God is putting his fingers on and, uh, finger on, and you've got to change. Woo, how are you going, church? It's good. <laughs> Encouraging, right, okay. So next point is, if you want to keep wandering around in the desert, be stubborn. Ah, be stubborn. You know, eight times in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God calls the people of Israel a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked 
people. Some synonyms, if you're struggling with what stiff neck means, it means obstinate, stubborn as a mule, headstrong, willful, self-willed, pig-headed, difficult, <laughs> contrary. Doesn't sound like any of you lovely people. Yeah, no, no, no. See, stubbornness can be a good thing when you're stubborn around the right things. You know, when you're, when you're steadfast and holding to God's promises, that's cool. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is digging our heels in, refusing to change when we know God's asking us to. And the reason that we, we don't change, if we peel back the layers, it's actually pretty ugly. It's that we're, we're just a bit proud. We don't want to admit that we need to work on these things. We don't want to admit that actually there's stuff in our lives that needs to be fixed that actually we need to open ourselves up a bit more to God and allow Him to come in. It's our pride, it's our stubbornness that keeps us wandering in the desert, far from the promises of God. God loves a soft heart. James 4, 6, my favorite verse. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble, gives grace to the humble. I want the grace of God in my life more and more, and I know that for that to flow, I need to swallow my pride and allow God to speak. So, if you want to keep wandering around, keep digging your heels in, keep being stiff-necked, keep being stubborn. But if you want change, allow God in. Show humility before Him. And we'll give you a chance to do that at the end of the service. Woo! <laughs> so number five, if you want to keep wandering around, is you just got to complain. Complain some more. Complain. Part of the Israelites' stiff nakedness, if that's a word, was a continual complaint that rose to God. Time after time. It's like they had blessing amnesia. That's what I'm calling it. Blessing amnesia. Because as soon as God does something amazing, five minutes later, they forget about it and they're complaining to God. Like he parts the Red Sea. Pretty incredible. He provides manna from heaven. Pretty amazing. He, he, he brings water out of a rock. He provides quail that come in. He just keeps doing all these miracles and they just forget about it. And they whinge. They complain about the, the bad stuff. If you want to stay spiritually immature, forget the blessings of God and find something to complain about. Because I tell you, there'll be things to complain about. There will be legit things in all of their lives that we can complain about. I'm not saying you don't have anything to complain about. But, see, the power of testimony is incredible. You, I love testimony because I love testifying to the good things that God does in our lives. But you see, you can testify to anything. You can testify to how good the All Blacks played last night. Okay? I haven't given you any uh, scoreline, uh, but you can testify to the, to, the, to the greatness of the All Blacks, or you like. Or you can testify to, oh, I've got a sore back. You can testify to the painfulness of your back. Oh, your kids are playing up. My kids are really playing up lately. You can testify to the 
badness of your kids or possibly the badness of your parenting. I don't know, but you can testify. <laughs> oh, because you've got to take ownership. You, you can testify to so many things. You really can. And I, I would encourage you, what are you testifying to? See, we need to be a people who testify, who boast in the goodness of God. And that, that, that's hard, but we need to change our language. Change it from complaint. If the first thing that someone talks to you, you're like, oh, yeah, da, 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 and you start complaining, you need to shift something in your heart that actually says, no, 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 no I'm going to testify to the goodness, to the good things. You know, there's fast that I'm doing at the moment. I could testify to how much I want a coffee this morning because Ida was up half the night and I really love coffee. Or I could testify to how good God is and, and the closeness that, that I'm feeling and, and, and the, the good things that He's doing in my heart and in my life. I can choose what I put my focus on. The Israelites, they could have been saying, wow, God, you did this amazing miracle. You provided this food from heaven that's never happened before and won't happen again. You've, given, you've parted the Red Sea. You've given us water. You've given us quail. You're, you're incredible. Or what they did do that kept them wandering around and around and around is they just keep complaining. Oh, God, you never provide for us. Oh, God, you know, we, you, you saved us from this, and now we're in this. Oh, God, it's never going to get any better. Oh, God. And the, the promised land's just there. And they're wandering around and around their problem, complaining. Yep, there's hard stuff in your life, but you don't want to magnify it. You magnify it when you testify to it. You make it bigger. You make a mountain out of a molehill by complaining. So if you want to stay immature in your faith, just keep whinging. Just keep whinging. Just keep whinging. But I tell you what, you'll, you'll stay in spiritual immaturity. Number six. The sixth thing that the Israelites did that I think we sometimes do is they lived hand to mouth on God's miracles. They lived hand to mouth on God's miracles. What, what do I mean by that? Like I think there is, miracles are awesome and I, and I love it when God does miracles. Don't get me wrong and I expect them to. But when you're always living for the next miracle in your life, and nothing changes in your heart and in who you are, then you will just lurch from miracle to miracle and you'll never change. That's what happened to the people of Israel. They had a miracle. God rescues them, does amazing stuff. But they don't change. They keep complaining. They keep being angry and bitter. And, and, and so God has to rescue them again. And then they keep complaining and, keep, and nothing changes. And so they go for another and. That is wilderness thinking. That if you want to stay in the wilderness, keep expecting God to do, I call it miracle slackness. They, did, they just kind of lurch from miracle to miracle without in, engaging with God in the greatest miracle, which is a transformed heart, which is Jesus coming in and, and doing something. Nat alluded to, to, to God being the, the vine and us being the branches. That is the greatest miracle when we allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. You see, there, there's a season when you first become a Christian when you need those miracles. You need those miracles to get by. You need, you need uh, Jesus to come in and miraculously change you, and, and He does. But He doesn't want you to stay there. 
He wants you to grow and change. Like if I think, uh, like, okay, I'm a, I'm a physio by training. And uh, if, you, if you've got a sore neck and you pray for God for a miracle and, and God gives you a miracle, that's awesome. But then you go back to work and you sit 40 hours a week in front of your computer every week. How many of you know that sore neck's going to come back? And you're going to be coming back to God the next time round, asking for another miracle. When actually what God wants you to do is you to take ownership and to change from the inside. Okay, musculoskeletally. You need to do some things, change your posture, etc. But you get what I'm saying. We need to, there's a deeper work that God wants to do. There was a deeper work that God wanted to do in the, in the Israelites. And actually, he had to wait a long time. The scary thing is he had to actually had to wait for those people to die. The people who are complaining and who are still wandering around, he had to wait for them to die off before a new generation could come into the promises of God. Actually, stuff in you needs to die. Stuff in you needs to die for you to enter the promises of God. And I pray that it doesn't take you 40 years for those things to die. I pray that you can put them to death today. In Jesus' name. But that's, that's, the, that's the road to spiritual maturity. It's putting those things to death. And not just, just lurching from one miracle to another. Because eventually God will get sick of you just crying out for miracles for yourself. Because see, the, the thing is, and this is what happens when you become mature, is that the, the miracles still happen, but you're enacting those miracles for others. The miracles aren't for you anymore. You have come to a place where actually you can lay hands on others and see a miracle for them and start them on that journey out of slavery towards their promised land. That's what God has in store for us. But if you just keep wandering around asking for a miracle for yourself, that's a spiritually immature place. And I'm sure you're not in it. So that's okay. Number seven. I think this will be our last one. I, I, you know, I've actually, I've got like seven things you shouldn't do and then like seven things you should, but I know that you're going to be like, seriously? Uh, so so we, might, we might leave them for another day. But number seven, if you want to just stay walking around in the wilderness, you need to believe circumstance over promise. Believe circumstance over promise. Believe what you see in front of you rather than what God has promised inside you. See, when they finally reached the edge of the promised land, they reached the River Jordan. Moses, he's a smart leader. He sends some spies in. He sends 12 spies, and they come back and they report, you know, what, what's the lay of the land. Ten of them say, ah, it's, it's awesome, but there's giants in the land. You know, the, the land flows with milk and honey, and, and there's, there's grapes that are like, this big and it's incredible, but you know, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes and, and we can't do it. Sorry, we've wandered around for 40 years and now we're going to have to go back. <laughs> and then there's two, Joshua and Caleb, and they come back and say, Yes, it's awesome, and we can do it. We can take it. This promised land is ours. See, they believe the promise of God over the circumstances. Yes, there are giants. They didn't deny that there were giants in the land. But they said, no, we can still do it. The question I want to ask you is, what's your response 
to the promises of God. God has promises for you, but are you like, ah, but, you know, that's just, let's just name it and claim it rubbish from, you know, that's, those, those, those promises aren't for me. They're for other people. Uh, you know, I couldn't. No, no, the, the promises are for you. I would rather be found on the side of believing the promises of God and being labeled as naive than not entering into the promised land that he has for me and, and leaning on my own understanding. That's what we do. And it's, it's, a, it's an epidemic in the West. We, we, we trust in understanding. We trust in reason over the Spirit of God, over the promises of God. And we've got to flip that. And that's hard for me. I, you know, I've been medically trained. I, I, I'm, I'm logical in my thinking. And sometimes I just have to throw that out the window because God doesn't work according to my logic. He's God. He's over and above what you understand, what you can reason out in your puny brain, you know? And we need, to, we need to stop trying to work it all out. We need to hold on to the promises of God. Does the promised land look too challenging, too daunting? Good. Because that means you can't enter it without God's help. And that's the way it should be. See, the promised land is a land that God leads you into. It's not a land that you can diligently work it out yourself. If I'm just disciplined enough, I'll get to the promised land. Now, God leads you into the promises. When they came to the first city, they had to take down Jericho. It was a crazy plan that they had to enact to take the city down. But if they had tried to do it their own way, thousands of them would have died and the walls would have still stood. But instead, they partnered with God. You can't go into the promised land without God. Too often we think, oh, I've worked out this Christianity thing. If I do this and do that, A plus B equals the answer that I want. No, you need, you need God in the mix. Otherwise, you'll just keep wandering around in spiritual immaturity and you'll settle. You know, some of the Israelites actually didn't go into the promised land. They stayed on the other side of the Jordan, two tribes. They were like, oh, this is pretty good here. Can we just stay here? And God was lenient. He was like, yeah, okay, you can stay there, but you still need to help the Israelites take their promised land. You're still called to take the promised land. Too many of us, we just kind of settle. I, I want to I wanna give a shout out to the people who've settled in your faith. You're like, this is as far as it, I come. This is, this is where I've got to. This is as big as my faith is going to get. No, no. God has got more for you. There is more. Can I just invite keys up? I, 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 really wanna, I really want us to grasp this idea today that we can't, we can't just keep wandering around with these same issues. There's an amazing verse in Deuteronomy 1, 31. It says, in the, and in the wilderness, I haven't got it on the screen, sorry. It says, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. You see, God carries us, and, and, and that's good. He carries us as a child. But actually, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a time when God wants to st- us to stand on our two feet. 
Because you, you can carry a child, but as they grow, they get heavy. <laughs> and you can't carry them. And, and some of us, we just actually need to step out from under our parents' faith, from, out, from under uh, uh, other people's faith, their friends' faith. And we need to stand on our own two feet. And we need to own our faith for ourselves. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I'm, I'm determined that this morning you don't get a word from, from Dave, but you get a word from God. And I know I've covered a lot of grounds, but I know that there, there is stuff that, that God wants to pinpoint in our lives. And I hope it hasn't been too heavy. I hope it hasn't been too hard. But I also hope you realize that actually there are some things that you're wandering around and you need to allow God in. You need to open up your heart you need to open up your life to let Him speak, to let Him minister. Some things you can't just change by discipline. You, you, can't, you can't disciple a demon. There, there's things that, that, that spiritually need to be broken for breakthrough to happen in your life. And perhaps it's around impatience. You're just trying to make things happen in God. Perhaps it's around worshiping idols. Maybe you've got other things in your life that you're putting ahead of God in your world. Maybe it's around stubbornness. You know things need to change, but you just dug your heels in. Maybe it's you just keep wandering around. You're just asking for the same miracle and, and instead of taking God at His word and partnering with Him to change. I don't know where it is, but I believe God wants to minister to you in this space. And so just with every eye closed, why don't you raise your hands to God and surrender and let's just reach out to Him this morning. God, you're in this place. And Lord, we want to move forward in you. We don't want to wander around in the wilderness any longer. We don't want to, to just enter some of the promises to settle somewhere close to the border. God, we want to enter fully in to the promises you have for us, into the promised land. You've taken us out of slavery. We thank you for that, God. But now we want to enter in to all that you have for us. And God, we know that for that to happen, things need to change in our hearts. So right now, I'm just going to give you a moment to pray yourself and say, God, what is it? What is it that needs to change in my life? What am I trying to make happen myself? What am I needing to let go of? What needs to shift in my heart? What? See, the thing is, we don't know what we don't know. I guarantee every single one of us will have issues, but we don't know them because we're blinded to them. Let's ask God to open our eyes to those things that need to change right now. Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Show us the things that need to change in this moment now, Jesus.
Father, we thank you that you've been speaking. Now, God, give us the courage to act on that, to take us towards our promised land. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's one more group of people I want to pray for. If you're here this morning and you know that actually you haven't even come out of slavery, you know that actually you're still being pushed around by your by your emotions, you're still being pushed around by the, the stuff in your life and you feel trapped, you feel that, that God, oh, you don't know God. You need to step out of that place, but you need to be led. Moses led the Israelites. Jesus will lead you into your promised land if you let Him, if you open your heart to Him. So just with every eye, closed again in this place. If you want to be led by Jesus into the fullness of life that He has for you, then I just encourage you just in this moment right now to raise your hands. I'll see it and you can put it down. Is there anybody here this morning, you know, yeah, my life's not right with God. I need, I need His forgiveness. I need His life-changing power in my heart. not seeing any hands so you can raise your eyes so good to be in God's presence with you I, my prayer is that this message doesn't condemn you you don't go away and think oh I'm still wandering around in the wilderness but actually God's spoken to you a step forward a step closer to entering into the promises of